sure glad you came. Anyways, hey, book of 1 Timothy this evening. 1 Timothy. Glad you came. You see, uh, I know you know this, but you and I live in the generation where church is kind of like one of those things, you know. Church, uh, and uh, I, was, uh, I was raised to be in church. I'm a churchy kind of guy, and I'm not ashamed of it. I tried uh, back when I got out of college, I tried for about 90 days to stay out of church. It didn't work. Man, that thing haunted me. <laughs> it did. Every, I, I just, I don't know, I just, there's enough put in me, man, I just can't miss. You say, well, you're the preacher. Well, I guess there's that too. Maybe the, You ever stop and think maybe the Lord uh, made me a preacher because he knew if he didn't, I'd skip church? <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Yeah, nobody laughed, yeah. First Timothy. I remember when I took the job, the ice cream company, I couldn't make midweek service. And man, I had some of the brethren climbing on me, man. They were climbing on me. I'll tell you what, you're the you're the pastor's son-in-law. You should I'm like, shut up, man. I can't get out of it. There's nothing I can do. It's not, I mean, I had to pay bills, you know. I had to, and I couldn't, I didn't get done till eight or eight, I wish eight, <laughs> like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, didn't get home till midnight. And then I wrestled with that thing for six years. And finally, the Lord's like, okay, fine. You want to go? Go. I got, the, I got the proverbial promotion. And then I had to drive 96 miles to go to church because I was up in Alpena. You say, what'd you do? I drove 96 miles and was thankful when I go to church. I like church. Amen. And church, uh, it's a complete part of this nutritious breakfast. Amen. You all are sleeping. First Timothy. We did some intro material here, and this is some good stuff, and uh, <laughs> I can tell. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for Calvary. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the time we have with family and friends and all that food. My goodness. Now, Father, I pray that you'd uh, open our eyes one more time that we may behold wondrous things out of the Word of God. Thank you for that book. Father, we need that book more than we need any Christmas gift, any, any kind of monetary gift or anything at all. Father, would you once again show us our need for the Bible tonight? Father, would you teach us from your word? And Father, I pray that you'd help me not to get in the way, but uh, preach it faithfully, truthfully, Lord, and help give the sense. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm trying to find a place where I left off here. We were going over the characteristics of tune. It's all intro material, and I want to just try to lay this foundation so when we start into the book that you you got something you can hang on to, all right? And so as far as the, uh, uh, the characteristics of Timothy, characteristics of Timothy, uh, we said this, if I, can, if I can find it here. All right, so we said number one, number one, Timothy was devout from his childhood, and we picked that up in, uh, we picked that up in 2 Timothy 3.15. Timothy was devout from his childhood. Devote from his childhood. Now, one of the best things you can do if you have kids or you plan on having kids is uh, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Timothy was devout from his childhood. Uh, and what you train your kids to do, I understand they have a free will. You and I both understand that. 
But what you train your kids to do, that's what they will do. Listen, if it's more important for you to make money, then your kids are going to also see that. One thing I understood is, uh, and it's also a very scary principle, is I understand that my kids are often smarter than I give them credit for. And I could tell them all day long to do something or to not do something, but when they get out on their own, they're going to do exactly, number one, what they want to, and number two, what was most important to me generally. So in other words, I can tell them all day long to do this, that, and the other, but if my life said that something else was more important, that's probably what they're going to do. But I understand they have that free will, all right? But uh, now he was devout from his childhood. The Bible says in that, From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The best thing you do is get your children in front of that book at an early age. And if you have impact with your grandchildren, get them in front of the book. Not only that, we said this, uh, number two, uh, Timothy, he was faithful in his service. Faithful in his service. And uh, we picked that up in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 22. This is about Timothy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 22. He was faithful in his service. Philippians 2, 22 says, But you know the proof of him, that as the son of the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. And uh, we said this. We said this, and you know this. The body of Christ is hurting for faithful men. Amen. And Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Is the Bible, amen, thank you. I mean, it's true whether or not anybody wants to say amen or not. But uh, uh, Timothy was faithful in service. And Paul says there in Philippians, he says, you know the proof of him. And the proof was that he was a faithful servant. He was a faithful servant. And uh, the area today that hurts most in faithfulness is, is not necessarily the pew, it's the pulpit. You've got to have a preacher that's faithful to the book and faithful to the Lord and not faithful to his own agenda. Uh, I'm, this is going to sound pious, but I'm scared to death if my agenda got turned loose. I really am, and you ought to be scared too. Uh, I don't have an agenda per se, but my flesh sure does. See what I mean? And, but he was faithful in service. And you picked that up in Philippians 2.22. Uh, this one we left off on uh, number three. Paul was, uh, Timothy was loved by Paul. He was loved by Paul. Remember, this is the characteristics of Timothy. And you picked that up in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 2. 2 Timothy 1.2. I bet you that helped him be faithful, knowing that Paul loved him. When you know someone that you really look up and respect to loves you, doesn't it sometimes help you to go on and move the needle just a little bit? Yeah, it sure does. sure does. 2 Timothy 1-2, Paul says to Timothy, My dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here, let me give you number four. This is a characteristics about Timothy. And what Timothy does here, number four, is uh, Timothy follows Paul's ways. Timothy follows Paul's ways. He's a good follower. And this stuff will preach a month of Sundays. Amen. 
And that's, uh, he picked that up in 1 Corinthians 4.17. 1 Corinthians 4.17. I want you to know something about Timothy when, before we get into the book here. 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. You know what Timothy was? Not only was he faithful, but he was faithful to follow Paul's ways. You know what the problem today is? There's a lot of problems, but here's the problem in churches. You get a young preacher and he wants to be the maverick. And he thinks he's got something to prove. He's got something to add to the body of Christ. No, what he needs to do is he needs to find an old preacher somewhere that's been through it for about 30 years. He's been through it and been through it and been knocked down and God picked him back up and he needs to get a hold of them ways that still work, the old paths, the old time religion, and get a hold of the old man's religion. And that's what Timothy did. He followed Paul's ways. Timothy didn't say, you know what, I think I got a way that will work better than you know the old man did it. You see what I mean? This is a generation you and I live. This is the YouTube and the Facebook and the social media generation that everyone has a way, quick way to fame. There ain't no quick way to fame in the local church. It's all about Jesus Christ, and you and I, we just should be in hell as good with the door shut. He said, who shall bring in remembrance of my ways? And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Every younger preacher, he needs an older preacher to follow. I don't care how old you are, if you don't have a a, a preacher, an old preacher that you followed, you say, how do you follow him? I'll tell you how you follow him. You follow him by you take his advice. say, well, you're called to be the pastor. I know that. I understand that. I understand that I'll stand before the Lord of Judgment seat of Christ and give account for everything I've ever done here, and he sent me here to make sure that nobody else would take over and that I was supposed to preach exactly what God wanted me to preach. But when it comes to following the old preacher, I need to be able to have a preacher in front of me that's already been there. And if he comes through and he says, you really need to work on this, you know what I need to do? I need to work on that. And if he says, you need to replace the cotton pick and tiles in the top uh, because this is going to happen, okay, okay, preacher. You know, one of the first uh, thing it, it, it's ridiculous. I told you last time, one of the first things that old preacher told me to do is to uh, take care of myself physically. You say, what'd you do? Well, swallowed my large pride and started taking care of myself. Next time he came around, he says, he said, my goodness, them stinking windows, them stained glass Catholic windows, they got to go, man. He said, that's depressing. He says, man, I don't want to come back to those. You know what we did? Replace the windows. Pretty good, ain't it? Let the light in. So you should be your own man. That's why you're not a preacher. You see what I mean? You need the old preacher. And Timothy followed Paul's ways. More young preachers follow the old preacher's ways. This country wouldn't be the cotton-picking mess it's in. All right, let me give you this uh, number five about Timothy. Not only was he loved by Paul and followed Paul's ways, but uh, as you know, Timothy was in need of instruction. You talk to some preachers my age, they don't need a thing. I would never say their name. <laughs> but you talk to some preachers my age, man, they don't need nothing. And then you hear them preach, and you're like, yeah, you need something all right. <laughs> Timothy was in need of instruction. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.12, 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says, Let no man despise thy youth, 
He says, but be thou an example. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In verse 13, he says, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. All right. And then he goes on there through there, 14, 15, and 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. <coughs> and he's just giving him some instruction. And Timothy was definitely in need of instruction. <clears throat> Look, just because you're young doesn't mean God can't use you. Amen. You know who God wants to use? This young group right here. He does. And that's why the scenery has constantly changed in this church for eight years. It's constantly changed, constantly changed, constantly changed. And you know what? The Lord's going to bring up a generation of young people is what he's going to do and get the job done. Amen. All right, but Timothy was in need of instruction. Every young preacher is in need of instruction. You find a preacher that out there is a maverick, he's a renegade anarchist, and he doesn't need instruction, he's going to be a flop in the sense of feeding the sheep. Now, you can go out there and you can get a business plan together, amen? You can get some, uh, some crazy idea and, you know, bring an elephant into church and you can have the, the rock bands and all that stuff, or you can go ahead and get liberal with everything and let all your standards right down to the floor, but that's because you ain't got no instruction. You don't change the old ways. You say, well, uh, in the old ways, uh, they had no electricity. Now, look, we're not trying to be stupid here. <laughs> One feller said, uh, he says, uh, all you preachers that celebrate Christmas, uh, uh, you, uh, it's because you make a living off the, off the church, and uh, it's just the way he said it was so stupid. And I'm like, I bet you that sucker, I know that sucker's got a cell phone. There ain't no cell phone in the Bible. There's no automobile in the Bible. You see what I mean? You can't use common sense. <laughs> Why? You're young, you need instruction, and Timothy was in need of instruction. Here's number six. Number six, Timothy had a sickly nature. The Bible indicates that Timothy had a sickly nature. And you pick that thing up over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. And, of course, this is a great verse where the liberals run away with it and say, well, there you go, I can drink, and I can do this, and if I'm sick, I can throw one back, and, you know, especially on Valentine's Day, and especially on Mother's Day, and especially on Halloween, and especially on Thanksgiving or something like that. But First Timothy 5.23, the Bible says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. So Timothy, the young preacher, he had a, he had a sickly nature. He had stomach trouble, I just... I can just guarantee you it was from the ministry. Stress, you know. It's not like he couldn't run down and get some uh, Alka-Seltzer, you know. He couldn't run down to the local, you know, uh, what is it, uh, um, whatever, the, the alchemist store and buy a roll of Tums. <laughs> so he's like, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. He was sickly. And uh, the ministry will do that to a man. And uh, you'll, if you'll think about some things and some men who are preachers and great preachers, men at full strength can be taken down just like that over a period of time. And uh, even with the Lord's hand upon them. Let me give you number seven. Not only was Timothy faithful, but number seven, uh, Timothy was urged to stay faithful. You've got to remember that. Timothy was urged to stay faithful. And you might be faithful today, and we thank God you are, but you better, be, you better remember, you've got to stay faithful. 
Just because you're faithful at this moment does not mean you'll be faithful a month from now. Timothy was urged to be faithful. You might have a shout on your breath, and we pray that you do. And you know me as your preacher. Sometimes I'm wound up like an eight-day clock, and sometimes I'm just pretty stoic. Uh, but Timothy was urged to stay faithful. Stay faithful. And you pick that up in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. Now listen, faithfulness does not come overnight. It doesn't come overnight. It is a learned behavior. I don't care what your work ethic. You might have a wonderful work ethic. And uh, uh, just because you were raised with a good work ethic and just because you were raised in a good home does not mean you will be faithful uh, for Jesus Christ. But you're going to... You're going to notice that as we go through these things, and that's, that will put the capstone on those characteristics about Timothy. Uh, so when we get into the book here, probably next time we're together, uh, you'll, I think you'll be able to understand a Timothy just a little bit better because you know a little bit about him. Amen? It's like if you're going to work with somebody and you have the greeting before the work party. You know what I mean? You just get to know Timothy just a little bit before we jump into the thing. But what you got to remember is it took Timothy 10 years of following Paul around. And you can pick that up between the date that uh, Timothy got saved to the date that uh, uh, Timothy gets, becomes pastor of the church at Ephesus. And it took 10 years of following Paul around. If a man is going to be used of God, he's going to have to get under the old preacher, and he's going to have to stay there, and he's going to have to be faithful, and he's going to have to go through some things. Like Timothy, he was thrown in jail. He was thrown in jail. And, uh, and he had to go through all that before God gave him something to do. And if you stop and think about your generation that you live in right now, everybody wants something right now. Everybody wants it right now. Uh, someone wakes up and gets this idea that they're good at this, that, or the other. Uh, they got to have it all right now. And they got to start their own company right now. And they got to have the best of everything right now. And they can't wait. And they can't go into the thing slowly. And they can't prove themselves. Uh, none of this, uh, I'm going to become a journeyman or something like that before I become a, or an apprentice before I become a journeyman. Is that how it goes? Is it apprentice first, brother? And then a journeyman or then a master? Everybody thinks they're a master right now. You say, what are you? I ain't nobody. <laughs> I'm a voice in the wilderness. An old preacher said it takes 20 years to make the man. I was over Bible Baptist Church of Lupton for 18 years doing what? Trying to be faithful? Trying to learn that book from cover to cover? And the whole time I was over there trying to serve the Lord the best I could, any way I could, yes, sir, no, sir, glad to do it, sir, and just sit there and go through troubles and trials and uh, raise babies and try to be a, a husband worth being married to, and we won't go into that. But anyways, and so what happened? Well, finally, after about 18 and a half years, the Lord's like, okay, maybe we'll do something with you. <laughs> but Timothy, 10 years following Paul around, but he was faithful the whole time. He was faithful. He was faithful in his service. And let me tell you what, that childhood of his was big. His mother and his grandmother, don't, don't, don't ever think that you as a mother, you as a grandmother, don't mean diddly squat. It does. Amen? And uh, devote from his childhood. His mama and his grandma put that book in him from, uh, from his youth, and he's loved by Paul. He had the love of a good preacher. He followed Paul's ways. It's like, for whatever reason, Timothy, man, he got a hold of it, and he really got it. I've seen people come in and out of these doors, and they get it, and then they let it go. You see what I mean? I mean, they get it, and they're like, wow, 
And they'll all tell me, Preacher, this is wonderful. This is magnificent. This is the best thing in the world since sliced bread and buttered bread and popcorn. I said, I know, ain't it something? Out they go. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Christian life's like a school bus, Dr. Ruckman said. A lot of people get on and get off, but they're all going to the same place. <laughs> right? And some people get on, uh, one or two stops in, and some people, man, they're on all the way until the bus driver puts that thing in the gate. And uh, I guess if nothing else, I just want to make sure, and uh, look, I'm not driving the bus. That's what you got to remember. I know I'm supposed to be the one to make sure nobody else drives the bus, but he's in charge. He's loved by Paul. Timothy followed his ways. Uh, he was definitely in need of instruction. And the thing about it is that Paul had a sickly nature, or Timothy had a sickly nature, and uh, he was urged to stay faithful. And uh, after 10 years, uh, you see that uh, Timothy leaves, uh, Paul leaves Timothy over in Athens. And so after 10 years, the Lord finally says, okay, you're ready to start being a pastor. And uh, so they send him down the road to Ephesus in full-time ministry. Here's the thing. Even as a full-time pastor in Ephesus, Timothy still respects Paul as the elder minister. There's still that loving, that, that caring relationship. And now Paul, in this uh, epistle here, he's going to give Timothy some charges. He's going to give him some charges. There's 12 charges in the book, and I want to give you these before we get into the book. And you're probably about exhausted by now, but this is important for you to get a hold of. And uh, there's 12 charges that Paul gives Timothy. And uh, you know what? I, I, I forgot one here. I forgot one on this part. And there's an important one here is Timothy, he was an emotional fella. He was emotional. And that whole thing about emotion, you got to be careful. It's not wrong to be emotional. God made your emotions. But you just got to make sure you're not overly emotional. You need, to, you need to get a hold of yourself. You need to understand yourself. Some of you are overly emotional, and some of you ain't got an emotion to save your life. It would seem, right? You need to understand that. And those who are overly emotional, you know what you'll be drawn towards? The Charismatics, the Pentecostals. And if you don't have much emotion, not much feeling, your heart doesn't get swelled up for much, you know what you'll, you'll, you'll uh, tend to lean towards? Calvinism. Intellectual stuff. You got to know who you are because that's how the Lord's going to deal with you. And if you're emotional and you're always going that thing off the rails and your heart just as big as a taxi and you let everyone take a big old chunk of it all, I, that ain't, you look at that thing about the Apostle John and how he laid uh, on the Lord's bosom at the Last Supper, and he laid upon his breast there, and he was exposing the most, the weakest part of his body, which was his neck. John was an emotional fellow, but he placed his emotion in the right place on the Lord Jesus Christ. But Timothy, he was emotional, and uh, that's uh, 2 Timothy 1.4. 2 Timothy 1.4, Paul says there in uh, 2 Timothy 1.4, he says, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, you know what struck Paul about Timothy? That, that boy's got tears. See what I mean? He's emotional. And uh, he says that I may be filled with joy. So you see the characteristics of Timothy. And, uh, and he's, uh, Timothy's now over the church at Ephesus there. 
And so Paul's going to give Timothy some charges, and I want, to, I, want, I want you to have them before we leave today, so let's pray we move right through them. He gives them 12 charges in all throughout the book, so here they are, and these are 12 charges given by Paul. He's given by Paul the elder minister. Why? Because that young preacher it needs some help. See what I mean? That young preacher needs some help, and you find me a young preacher who's just all about shooting his mouth off and doing it his way, he's going to crash and burn. He's going to make a big mess of things unless he gets a hold of an older preacher who's been through it and down the road a little bit. And, uh, and what Paul's doing is giving these charges to try to help him along the way. Now, don't forget, Timothy's been waiting 10 years to do something. You remember when you finally got old enough to drive a car? It was exciting, wasn't it? And then as soon as you got your license, man, your parents just all over your business. You're not going to drive here. You're not going to charge you with some stuff, right? <laughs> And they're making the jokes, everybody get off the, everybody get off the sidewalks, they got a license. But uh, as soon as he gets a chance to do something, Paul says, okay, you, you got the mantle, but now I'm going to charge you. I'm going to charge you to do some things here. And according to Webster, a charge is a command to take care of something, take care of something. And that's a charge as in Timothy was put in charge of something. Now that first one is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, 1 Timothy 1. And that thing goes from verse 3 all the way to verse 20. 3 all the way to verse 20. That's the first charge. And that thing's threefold. And it was, number one, to remember the purpose of the law and those that pervert the law. Uh, the second one, don't, don't worry too much about these. I just want to give you the breakdown of where they're at. To remember the true nature of the gospel. And then finally, the third one is to remember to approach the gospel with a military application. A military application. You got all through there. Fight the good fight. War a good warfare. A good soldier. Endure hardness and all that stuff through there. And what you got to remember, this charge that he gives Timothy, is if you don't keep militancy in your Christianity, your Christianity won't stay pure. I'll say it again. If you won't keep militancy in your Christianity, you will not stay pure. I've seen it. You've got to stay militant in your Christianity, and that's what turns a lot of people away. They'd rather have lace in their britches than be militant about their Christianity. Now listen, you get all slip-slopping, as the old preacher say, and flip-flopping in your, your, uh, your militancy, uh, you'll want not stay pure. You'll get unholy. You'll start letting things in that don't belong in. You'll start accepting things that you've got no business accepting. But if you keep militants and you regulate yourself with militants and discipline... You'll stay pure in your Christian life. The things that you might have done in other churches, you won't do around here. They won't fly. Amen. This is not a charity. This is not a handout output. This is not a community kitchen. Amen. This is not a, what do you call that thing where they build houses? Yeah. Thank you. This is not a habitat for humanity. We're talking about the souls of men. And you can't get all loosey-goosey in that stuff. And uh, you can do it where you used to go, but you ain't going to do it here. But uh, we, we won't tell you how to live your life in your home, but we'll tell you exactly what God says you should do in your Christian life. And that's where it parts ways for a lot of Christians, and that's why Paul does it. And look, we all have character flaws. Would you agree? All have character flaws in this Christian life. You can pick mine, and I can pick yours. 
But the militancy of your Christianity looks beyond everybody's falls and looks towards the end goal of character in the local assembly. That's what that militancy is supposed to do. It's supposed to look past that stuff. It's supposed to look past your childhood uh, ways. It's supposed to look past your, uh, I know your little, you know, fits that you throw and say, okay, God's developing them, and one day they're going to have character, and that's about the local assembly. Everyone's got flaws. You can pick mine, and I can pick yours, but you're supposed to look past it. And listen, if you can't look beyond everybody's falls, flaws, uh, you'll try to turn this church into a worldly show. It's all about you, your feelings, and your agenda, and you'll end up getting tripped up. You will. And uh, you see, listen, as a child of God, and this probably go over like a ham at a Jewish wedding, but that's all right. Once you get the taste for witnessing, once you get the taste for passing out tracts, preaching on the street even, and leading people to Christ, you can't quit it. You can't quit it. And that's why most Christians never do it. But once you start and then you stop, you're done. You start getting unpure. You start getting unholy. Why? You lost the fervor, you lost the zeal, you lost the militancy in your Christian life. And that's what he's talking about, that first one. Now, the second one here, it's uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. These are charges that Paul's given Timothy. And this, uh, this charge is for Timothy to continue in prayer. He's saying, Timothy, you better keep praying. You thought prayer was important. Now you're a preacher. You better keep praying, man. I'll tell you, I don't know how you can live your Christian life without praying. I didn't say I never went a day without praying because I'd be lying, but I don't know how you can live your life without prayer. And he uh, tells Timothy to teach uh, you better keep praying. And how about this? You better teach your church to pray. Don't ever assume the church knows how to pray. I remember when we were uh, trying to be youth leaders and all that stuff, we did a couple of them, we call them all-night prayer deals. Man, that sucker was work. I'm telling you what, Lord showed up in that thing. <laughs> and it was spiritual, I know that. But man, it was, it was a blast. I mean, I think the second one we did, we only did two, right? Only did two, but the second one we did it a little bit smarter, I thought. We're like, okay, we're going to go like every 45 minutes and the last 15 minutes, we're going to drink Mountain Dew or something like that, or whatever your, you know, your caffeine of choice was. And I, how long we go? I have no idea. We go six hours? Anyways, it was longer than I had ever prayed in my life. <laughs> but, man, that stuff's good. And that's the charge to, uh, t- that Paul's given Timothy to pray and teach your church how to pray and teach your church that God still answers prayers. Amen? And the third one here is a great passage, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 15. Here's the third charge, 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 15. It's a great passage. And here, this charge that Paul gives Timothy is to show the women their proper place. Now, don't get all upset and don't get all whacked and jacked here, but it's what it is. When when I finish, you'll understand. And Paul is saying, look, I know the women, I know what they're going to want to do. He says, I know they're going to want to teach. They're going to want to take over. They're going to want to teach over the men. They're going to want to take over your office, and they're going to want to take over everyone else's office. So this charge is to show the women their proper place, and that proper place is not stepped on, is not picked on, and not beat upon, and not shunned upon, but to teach them their proper place. 
And the reason they want to teach and take over in everyone else's office, generally, many times, is because the men won't do it. But over, look at Genesis chapter 3. You've got to remember this, gals, about how God made you. You may or may not like it, but it's still in the Bible. And the reason that the reason that you want to take over and you want to get so competitive like you do is because, look at Genesis 3.16. After that whole thing went down, the Bible says unto the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to what? Thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And the gist of that thing is, is you're going to want to be in charge, and guess what? You're not in that marital relationship. So, and you gotta, you got to have some common sense in that thing. I remember when I first started preaching here back in 2014, it became evident, uh, and after a couple, couple months, it became completely evident that the women, uh, not the women here, of course, y'all are saints compared to that bunch, the women were running the show. They were. They was in charge. They just said, they had not let me know after they voted me in that they was in charge. <laughs> and I mean, they were, uh, they were so stinking sorry that the women would get all worked up and they just took over. And of course, when my family and I came to preach and then agreed to let the church vote us in at 100%, by the way, not to add credentials, but the church voted us in 100%, all the women, they were on their best behavior. And ladies, you got to understand this about you. There's a there's a gear inside of you that could literally crash this church into about a thousand pieces if you're not careful. And uh, everyone says, well, we can't pick on the women. I'm not picking. I'm just preaching the Bible right now. I'll always preach on the men. Us men, you're sorry is what you are. Men are sorry, lazy, won't study, won't read, won't pray. Amen. Amen, amen. But now it's your gal's turn just for a second. You need to learn something about yourself, and that's why Paul's given Timothy that charge. But back to my, my sordid illustration here, but soon after the honeymoon of a couple months came to close, our family, you know, being brought into close and wonderful fellowship with the church and all that stuff, and we began to move forward as a pastor, the women started going absolutely crazy in here. They started going nuts. You say, why is it? Well, i got a couple ideas. I think the King James Bible was one of them. Just the preaching, the solid preacher from the King James Bible. I didn't say I was some great orator or deliverer of a speech. I'm just saying you got the truth now and you got it Sunday, Sunday school, Sunday morning. Uh, we didn't have Sunday night for a while there. And then Wednesday night, I mean, nonstop Bible. <laughs> and, uh, and, and not only that, but, but all of a sudden these gals started going crazy. And they started stirring stuff up and firing up the old granny hotline. Amen? Just you know, just, just going 100 miles an hour. And, uh, and well, one day, I, uh, I said, uh, I came in, my family and I came in, there was stinking, I think, eight Christmas trees in this joint. Was it eight or seven? Anyways, that's a lot of Christmas trees. I don't care who you are. It is, uh, it's like the end of the world as we know it to put one up in our house. But they had at least seven in here. I think it was actually eight because they had one big old ugly, gaudy-looking thing right here. Looks like something they stole off the Lawrence Welk show, you know. And, uh, I mean, this place was lit up. It looked like Zenders of Frankenmuth, you know what I mean? <laughs> or was, what's that called, Bavarian joint there? <laughs> Zenders is a chicken joint, isn't it? 
And I said, that ain't, ain't going to stay here. They'll take it down. You know, you know. I said, y'all can put it wherever you want, but you're not putting it. This is a place where we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We have preaching. I'm not going to compete with a Christmas tree. I didn't say he couldn't have any, right? That's one out of eight. Oh, my goodness. You thought, you know, I, I preached heresy. And one old hot-headed old blue bitty said, I got to talk to you. And she brought another old heifer in with her back in the office. And they came back to us, who do you think you are? My wife was standing right there. He said, you must think you run this place. I said, sis, I think I'm the preacher. Who do you think you are? It's like that. I says, because if you're the preacher, I grabbed my Bible and I kind of threw it at her on the table. I said, you're going home and preaching. Better study because you're preaching tonight. And all I said is, you're not having a Christmas tree in here. I don't care where you put them. I don't care how many you got, but you're not putting it in here. Anyway, so it was all over a stinking Christmas tree and the those gals, they're, they're rotten and rebellious. Now, ladies, listen. That competitive desire to take over is in every single one of you, and you've got to govern that and keep it where God wants it. Uh, Genesis 3.16 said, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. What you also got to remember, and what he's trying to let Timothy know, is says, look, the first woman ever walked the face of this earth was a rebel. And uh, she did what God said not to do. And, but here's the greater part of the thing. And this goes to the men. If the devil can get your wife, he can get you. He said, oh, no, not me. I wouldn't have ate of the fruit. I'd have said, let her die. Yeah, that's why when she tells you to sleep on the couch, you say, okay, I'll go sleep on the couch, honey. You'd ate the fruit too. And you've got to watch that. But Timothy is charged by Paul to tell the women what their proper place is in the church and their family. And as a Christian witness, that's a great passage. You shouldn't be upset about that. Amen. Y'all should learn a little bit about yourself. Keep yourself in. Do you know yourself? Men, ladies, you know yourself? Do you know where you're weak at? You know when your husband doesn't, uh, you know, respond just exactly how you want? You know there's a, something inside of you that wants to take over. You ever know that thing existed? Just govern it. Just put the bridle and say, Lord, let me be who you want me to be. All right, but uh, let me grab number four, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. This is number four. Charges in the book of Timothy. As you can see, we're not getting through all 12 here. But that is a great passage. And here, this charge notifies Timothy, the prospective bishop, right? He's going to be a preacher, pastor the ordained elder, of their need to strive for qualifications to the office. So he gives uh, Timothy the qualification, and all those qualifications are listed out there. And he says, you need to strive to meet these qualifications, and you need to do everything in your power to strive to meet it. All right, and then you got uh, the next one, number five. That's 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Now here's the same charge as it would seem over again, but now in this charge, this application is to the deacon. For the deacons. And those deacons are to strive for the qualification as well of their office. And here's the thing. If a deacon's not qualified, he needs to get out until he's qualified once again to do the job that he's supposed to do. Amen? You don't, you don't get a bunch of deacons that are not qualified. That was another thing that we had to deal with when we came over here in 2014. They had this revolving door of deacons that didn't even know how to spell the word, let alone what the job of a deacon was. And you're saying you're just being sarcastic? No, I'm just sad. I mean, if you've been saved, listen, if you've been saved for two years, 
you ought to be able to show me three places just like that where there's qualifications for a pastor or a bishop or a deacon. Boom. Just like that. And yet you had these men in church all their life didn't even, didn't even know a cotton-picking thing about what a deacon was. Well, that'd be like putting making someone a president who had nothing to do with leadership or anything at all. That'd be the craziest thing you ever heard of in your life. But uh, that's why those things are there. Here, grab a couple more. Here's number six, 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. That's how you break down this book. We're giving you the skeletal structure. Then we're going to put the meat and the bones on it. And here Paul's charging Timothy to be aware of the true nature of the body of Christ and how it's connected with the local church. I know that was a mouthful. But he's giving you the charge of the true nature of that body of Christ and how it's connected with the local church. Did you grab a hold of that? That body of Christ is connected to the local church. And I'm not a Baptist brider either. And Paul, you see, he was a local church starter. And he was a local church promoter. And he was a local church pastor. And let me tell you, if a man isn't local church, as the old preacher say, he ain't worth spitting at. You're going to be right with God? You better be pro-local church. That's in this book. That thing's solid. That thing is nailed down. And this home church tomfoolery, none of this, you know, you know, well, what do you think? And what do you think? And no pastors and just a bunch of, you know, orders, baloney. And um, if a man isn't local church, he isn't worth spitting at. He's a rebel. He doesn't, if he doesn't back a local church. And here's the thing, and I've learned this too. If a man... Uh, he'll sow unfaithfulness and rebellion in a local church. He'll reap it in other areas of his life. Did you get a hold of that? Any man or any woman who sows rebellion and sows unfaithfulness in a local church, you'll reap it in other areas of your life. I've seen it go on right here in this community, and I think blow all the pieces. You go ahead and you sow rebellion right here. You get out there and whatever line of work you're at or whatever you're doing, that thing just blow it a piece, blow right in your face. Why? You, you, you can't get away. You're going to sow that stuff. You're going to reap it. And you got to be careful. And, you, and uh, you'll reap it in other areas of your life if you're not faithful to a local church. You say, well, preacher, it just sounds like you want people to come to the local church. I sure do. Why? Because that's what God wants. Amen? Now, if I don't have anything to give, well, then, then the problem is not you coming. The problem is the idiot behind the pulpit. But if I'm feeding you so much that you're burping, you're walking out the door, you ought to be a part of it. Amen? You see what I mean? That stuff is not just, it just doesn't have to do with your work ethic. It has to do with whether or not it's important to you. And if it's not important to you, that's between you and the Lord. But here's what Paul's charging Timothy. He says, uh, the importance of the local church. Get, get this one here. You got 1 Timothy 4.11. 1 Timothy 4.11. Here Paul is charging uh, Timothy about uh, the Romanism that is beginning to slip into the local assembly. He's just saying, look, beware of the Romanism that's slipping in. And uh, all through there you've got forbidding to marry, right? Uh, forbidding uh, abstaining from meats. You've read it over there. And also uh, around this passage, he's charging Timothy to concentrate on his own godliness. His own godliness. The Bible says, bodily exercise profiteth little. That's what Paul said. 
but godliness is profitable unto all things. And he's telling Timothy, listen, there are some things that are going to come up. There's some things that come up in the ministry. You're not going to avoid them, and they're going to run you over like a steamroller. And you know what you got to do, Timothy? What, Paul? you got to keep in shape. you got to keep in shape. Why? Because bodily exercise, it profiteth little. If my job to you is to preach and to teach, then i got to take care of my body. That's my job. And he's charging Timothy, but you better take care of it. You better take care of it. Uh, you know, I was thinking you know, a good weight for me is about 230. You know, all that stuff there. Feel good, can move around pretty good and all that stuff. But man, if I get off that regimen I'm on and I start packing them on, I, the, the way I preach sometimes, good night, I feel like I'm about ready to have a heart attack. You know, get up. It'd be nothing to get up to 240, 250, just like that. For, I'm talking about me. I don't know. I don't know where y'all need to be. Help yourself. If you follow that national BMI chart, y'all look like a bunch of stinking Ethiopians, anyways. But, but I know if I don't eat right and I don't exercise and I just lay off for a while, you know, I do start getting headaches. Blood pressure starts going up. I'm like, oh man, I got a headache. My wife's like, you are a headache. I'm like, I know that, but I got a headache. And you know, bodily exercise it profited a little. And back in the day, uh, I'm not bragging on it, God forbid, but I used to eat like a horse, I eat like a pig sometimes. And, you know, the blood pressure go through the roof, and then I got to go get a pill for, to get it back down, and then it's too much, and then I'm falling asleep at the, you see what I mean? God called me to preach, God called me to teach, I got to take care, and Paul's charging Timothy, bodily exercise, profit a little, but godliness, but godliness is uh, profitable unto all things. And if it's my job to preach the gospel, I'm just trying to relate with you for a second here and tell you the truth. Is it not my job to take care of my body? Sure is. Uh, just like if it was your job that you had to be on the assembly line, you were required. If you're going to take this job, you get a lot, you got to lift 35-pound boxes all day long. It should be your responsibility to make sure you can lift 35-pound boxes the right way. But, you know, you know, oh, oh I hurt my, my tail, oh, you know, and then it's workman's comp for the rest of your life or something like that. But, uh, but it's my job to take care of this body right here. And, uh, but here's the thing. The flip side of that thing, it's a good thing to exercise, but never more than I should pray. It's a good thing for me to exercise, but not more than I should read my Bible. It's a good thing for me to exercise and do right and eat right and, be healthy and clean and all that stuff, but not more than I should study. You see that balance? There's something about a man. I can't speak for a woman. I don't know about a woman, but a man. I'm just, I'm a man of extremes. I've been a man of extremes all my life, and the Lord keeps trying to kind of, no, 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 Evans, you're too far. To the, no, 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 you're too far. Back in the middle. <laughs> Monkey in the middle, there it is, you know. And for whatever, it's easier just to go nuts about something, you know, and just work, you know, not just work eight hours, though. Let's work 16, you know. And then everyone's lazy because they don't work as hard as I do. <laughs> you see how that goes, right? You know? And then there's the other side of that thing, and then you get such a lazy streak going through, you don't, you don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to do nothing. You want to lay around and watch Netflix or Prime or whatever, you know, thing you're hooked up with, and you just, you just unplug. Oh, I got to unplug. And, and every time you turn around, oh, I just, oh, I got too much going. I got to unplug. That ain't good either, man. <laughs> But uh, enough there, I'm going to give you another one here, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 16. 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 16, here Paul is uh, charging Timothy to strive for personal holiness. Personal holiness, you don't hear a lot about that. 
generally the, the preaching I heard on holiness, it never seems to be in a balanced fashion. Maybe because you can't preach holiness in a balanced fashion, you got to get on it and you got to get it hot and heavy and then you get off the thing and maybe that's the right application of that thing. But uh, he's charging Timothy here in 412 to 16 to strive to obtain personal holiness. And that's what you need to do. You need to strive to be holy. You don't strive to be liberal. <laughs> you don't strive to show off your liberties in Jesus Christ. <laughs> you strive for personal holiness. Amen? And that's what you and I should do. And that's what he tells Paul. You know, Peter quotes uh, the Lord out of Leviticus 20 in 1 Peter 1.16. says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That thing's in the Bible three or four times. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's just a cute little saying, isn't it? Or maybe it means something. Maybe it means you're just a dirty old dog and you need to learn to get holy and stay holy. And uh, not only personal holiness in that passage of Scripture there, but Paul is also talking to Timothy about his own intellectual mind. You say, why? Because Paul is reminding Timothy, you need to read. And reading's a lost art. I'm learning that in, in school. Nobody reads. They don't watch movies and play games. Everything's E this and E that. I'll tell you what, you say what you want. I'm, I'm not asking for feedback on the thing, but once I started reading the old preachers like Talmadge and some of, Spur some of Spurgeon stuff and some of these old preachers like Sam Jones, man, I, I, felt, I felt like my brain kicking uh, opening doors that I had in my brain that weren't there before. I mean, when you got to read a sermon, you got to look up a dozen words to see what they mean. And that was in the 1800s. You think we're really improving as a people? I think we're idiots. And uh, not that you have to read such large, excessive vocabulary. You read someone like Talmadge, man. He paints a picture that you'll never forget. But you could read a sermon and go back two days later and, and you reread it like you never read it in the first place. It ain't the Bible. It's not inspired. But, man, the touch of God was on him like a fan. And he's just saying, look, uh, you need to strive to obtain personal holiness. You need to stir up your own intellectual mind. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to read. Every preacher needs to read and every Christian needs to read. And if you don't read, you're not getting any place. If you don't read, you'll not develop yourself spiritually. You've got to remember that. If you don't read that book in your lap, you'll never develop yourself spiritually. And if you don't read and you don't try to be holy and you don't try to pray and spiritually develop yourself, uh, then a pastor, he won't be a proper minister. He won't. He'll just, what he'll do, he'll just do reruns. You know, he preached a good one 25 years ago, so he gets up and he puts on a rerun. That ain't going to get the people of God fed. And uh, if you just continually preach old messages, you're not a proper minister. You're not fit for the pulpit. Bob Jones Sr. said this, it's not wrong to preach a sermon more than once, but it's wrong to preach a sermon more than once if you haven't worked on another. <laughs> Amen. And it's not wrong to preach a sermon more than once, but if you're too lazy to go get a new one, then you shouldn't be able to preach. And you say, well, we're not preachers. Yeah, but maybe someone in here will be. And uh, I remember I listened to Dr. Ruckman there. I can't remember when I was, when I was working down uh, in, in Clio. And, uh, you, know, you know, he had his mannerisms about him. It was just unlike anything else in how he talked. And he says, you men out there have been called to preach. You listen to me for a minute, he'd say. He says, why in the world are you so focused on going out and making money all the time? He says, if you're called to preach, why don't you get about a year's worth of messages 
uh, stored up and see if God don't do something with you. I said, Shazam, <laughs> I'm going to do that. He said, what did you do? I got a bunch of messages ready, but I didn't dare preach half of them. <laughs> I got a couple volumes back there. They're probably not even biblical. I got messages on why women shouldn't work. I got women messages why women should work. I got messages. It's just stupid, but the fact is I'm trying to get messages down so God would use me in that capacity. <laughs> and, uh, but if a preacher's not going to read and he's not going to study, he's not fit for the pulpit. Amen. And I've only preached a handful of messages more than once. Uh, and one of the reasons is, is the scenery and the landscaping has constantly changed in our little church house for the last eight years. And, uh, but when I re-preached about two or three messages that I can think of, I always reworked them top to bottom, try to redevelop them and see if I'm missing stuff from that thing. Now look, as the old preacher would say this, old Brother Lindsay would say, some of you watch John Wayne march the sands of Iwo Jima 50 times. He said, if it's a good one, let her fly again. Amen? And there might be a time you might hear a message say, oh, he preached that. And like some of y'all, you take such good notes, all I got to do is give the first point. You're like, oh, oh, we're good. And for that reason alone, I try not to re-preach stuff. I know how Bible believers are. Amen? I mean, I know evangelists that travel the country, hither and yon, they got a handful of messages, and uh, that works for them because they're moving on different congregations, but they ain't going to get you fed. I can't just sit there and, you know, just, okay, well, yeah, the old preacher, he'd say, the doctor, he'd say, I pulled one out of the sermon barrel. <laughs> he'd say, what would you be? I, I pulled one out of the sermon thimble. <laughs> I got a barrel. <laughs> but uh, that might be okay for them, but that ain't going to work for you. That ain't going to work for me. And as a, uh, let me tell you this, as a local church pastor, it's been my desire to give you fresh bread and fresh pasture from the Lord. I've always wanted the people here to be able to hear from God in a fresh way. And understand that you can't go wrong getting in the old fertile grounds of plowed truth. But it's always been my desire that the people of God here at this church hear from heaven and get fresh bread every single time. That's why that, that whole illustration about man is so important. You've got to gather enough for every day. Amen? And when you come and you sit under the preaching, I don't think it should be... Here we go again. He's going to preach on tithing. Here we go again. He saw someone at Walmart dressed in something they should have been wearing, so now we're going to hear how we don't have the standards that everyone should have. You say, I'm not all about that stuff. I believe you ought to have a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what, there is enough pasture in this book that we could preach now to the millennium and not even scratch the surface of it. And the hardest thing for a preacher to do, and we're done here, the hardest thing for a preacher to do, you ready for this? You say, yeah, I know, shut your mouth, preacher. No, it's sit down and study. It's the hardest thing. I, I'm not, it's not hard to sit down on, the, on the, uh, the, the chair and watch the television, is it? The hardest thing for you to do is sit down and read your Bible. The hardest thing for you to sit down and pray. And the hardest thing for a preacher is sit down and study. That thing is the old preacher, that thing works from the bottom up. <laughs> And if a preacher ain't, he ain't, he ain't willing to sit in that chair and study, God's not going to give him anything and his people are going to starve. And these are just some of the charges that uh, we got, what, one, two, three, we got about four to go and we'll catch those on Sunday school there. And then we'll actually be ready to get right into the book. By the time we get to 1 Timothy 1.1, you all know everything about the book. It'll be easy, amen. All right, why don't you stand?
I'll tell you, church, I sure do love this old Bible. And I love the old preachers that hold up the old Bible. And by God's grace, we're going to keep on going. We're going to follow the old paths. And we're going to stay with the old-time religion and 